Hey everybody, Eric here. Just a quick heads up, you might have noticed a different website is hosting this show now. We're now part of the podcast family at www.nerdalogs.com. The Nerdalogs is a comedy and production group I've been a part of for six years now. I make like two or three other podcasts for them. Uh, and they're looking for new shows to add to their roster right now. So it just made sense to move my show with Lauren over there. So everyone's subscription should have been carried over automatically, uh, but there's no more need to go to SoundCloud or our WordPress site. Uh, of course, we'll still maintain our Facebook page. Um, I just wanted to thank the other members of the Nerdalogs for being cool to host this political show. Uh, it's still definitely nerdy, though, so I think it counts. And also, I want to shout out that if you have a podcast you've been thinking about making but need some help with production or logistics or whatever, we are launching a podcast mentoring program, and we'd love to hear from you. More information on that can be found at www.nerdalogs.com. That's N-E-R-D-O-L-O-G-U-E-S.com. Now on to season two. I'm Lauren. And I'm Eric. Over the past year, we've connected dozens of classic She-Ra episodes to modern progressive issues. But we're not done yet. In this second season of our show, I'm no longer a newbie to Etheria. This year, we're taking a higher level view of the characters and issues that face the Princess of Power. We're as interested as ever in how those issues connect to our current political landscape. So join us as we look back to the 80s and forward to the Netflix reboot of one of our favorite cartoons. This, this is, is She-Ra, Progressive, Progressive of Power. Hey everybody, we're back. Welcome to season two of She-Ra, Progressive of Power. Once again, I am Eric. And I'm Lauren. Welcome back after a long time. Yeah, last December was the last time you heard, well, I don't know when you heard from us. You could listen to the show anytime. <laughs> That's the last time we gave something to you. So uh, it's good to be back. Uh, this is season two. We're doing some stuff a little different this season, which we're going to get into. But as always, we want to kind of catch you up on what's been going on. So Lauren, what's been going on? Oh, so much. My husband is still in law school. I have started applications to business school. I'm going to get hopefully an MBA. Then you'll see all the things we're doing wrong in like marketing this show. Well, I already kind of know what we're doing wrong marketing ah! this show. <laughs> great, great. I'm a marketing professional in my day job, y'all. It's fine. Uh, and let's see. Uh, we did do some fun Shira stuff in the off season. We both have some connections to the music world. Eric has a playlist uh, podcast, and I make playlists and DJ for an organization called Dance Dance Party Party. And so we sort of uh, <laughs> challenged each other to make Shira playlists. And so those are available to listen to. We actually listen to it on the car ride over because yeah. we're really dorky i'm gonna put those in our social media it just came out of like when i work on a project i really need to have music to like get me in the mood when i'm doing like the mindless work of like i don't know social media invites or whatever and so i was like i don't have any shira music and it's not like that music is super available so we put together some playlists that we thought reminded us of Shira. So we'll go ahead and share those. Uh, what did you do in the in the off season? I still worked more on this project that I can't really talk about yet, uh, which is weird. Last season, we kind of teased that I, I had a cool new job. Still can't talk about it. Probably by the end of this season, it still won't be public knowledge. So that's good. Cool story, bro. Yeah. So that's my life. Uh, great. Let's talk about what we're doing today. So Lauren and I thought for the second season, which... 
Uh, if you recall, we weren't even sure we were going to do one. And then Netflix. We, yeah, we literally decided to do season two pretty much the day of our finale of season because one. Because the day before Netflix announced they were reviving it, right? So we were like, we have to do bigger stuff. We have to cover everything we make sure, like we need to cover before Netflix drops their season, which who knows when that is. So this season, we're doing more of a top level view of things. And we're starting not with the She-Ra cartoon, but with kind of the basis of it all, the toys, right? Maybe you could even say the toys that made us. Good one. I know. Isn't that <laughs> clever? You're killing um, me. Because, well, our whole show, the premise is like we're talking about all these sociopolitical things that shape the media and the narratives we consume. And so how do you not go to the very beginning, right? So to talk about the toys, well, we got a couple of really good experts here, don't we? Yes. Best guests ever. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I don't want to make our other guests feel bad. All of our guests <laughs> Everyone are is my favorite guest. So let's start with, there in Chicago, there exists a really lovely independent toy store that kind of trades on all of these things that we grew up loving. And they have all this really cool stuff that you can go look at and buy now. It's almost like going into a Toys R Us, like stepping into a time machine Toys R Us. I don't know. It's super great. Located at Western and Armitage-ish. Uh, name of the shop is Toy Du Jour. They're about to celebrate, what, their fourth anniversary? Yep. Fourth is coming up in March. Uh, and who are you, sir? Hey, this is Sam Wells. I am the husband half of Toy Du Jour. All right. Very good. Uh, your store is amazing. What's the coolest He-Man thing you have there right now? Currently? Okay. I'm not going to say the coolest, but in the four years we've been around, uh, recently was the longest we've been without a Battle Cat. Like, out of nowhere, like, we u- usually have, like, a box full in the back of battle cats with armor and everything and all of a sudden like i look at the cases like there's no there's no battle cat in there what's oh, going no. on now there's a battle cat back in the case like so la- there's a run of, on battle cat yeah yeah but as of last week we got another one in the in the shop wow thank yeah. goodness i know i stopped in once looking for a, a hordak from the classics line and i asked do you guys get many classics and you were like Pretty much with the main characters, as soon as they come in, they're gone. So that seems to speak to, like, the popularity of He-Man. And then sitting next to Sam, we have, boy, if you read comics, you probably know this guy. He's written uh, Revival for Image. Uh, If you read DC, he's on Nightwing and Green Lanterns. Uh, A bunch of other great stuff. But kind of to the point, he quite literally wrote the book on on He-Man toys in some respect. Uh, This is Mr... I'm Tim Seeley. Tim Seeley. And he wrote the or co-wrote with his brother Steve, The Art of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which is kind of a neat uh, encapsulation of like the history of He-Man through its, uh, I don't know, like marketing assets in a weird way. Yeah. I mean, I, and even, you know, uh, we have the sort of original memo in there that says we need a boy's toy line to compete with Star Wars. So it, d- it definitely is very much about all the imagination and joy you got from a bunch of marketing directors sitting around saying we need to sell a bunch of plastic. So, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think that's a, a realistic assessment of what we did there. Yeah. And also just filled it with joy and wonder because there's so much thought and creativity that went into that. You know, you have just, I think, encapsulated what's going to be the main uh, conflict of our episode, which is the birth of He-Man and by extension She-Ra is so, it's so like precision tested by marketers who just wanted to make a buck. And yet so many generations of people after that have put so much heart into it I don't know. That's really interesting to me, right? Yeah. There's something to knowing that every piece of media 
and every toy on every shelf that's put in front of us is there because someone did an equation or, or ran it through an algorithm and put it in front of a test audience before we ever saw it. And, you know, you could either get up in your head about that or you could just say, screw it, I love this stuff. And <laughs> On the other hand, though, with Master Universe, I think what is kind of cool about it is it's the last winged by the seat of their pants uh, mass, you know, marketed toy line, though, too, because, yes, you're right. But also, if you look in there, there's so much, like, there's just dudes got drunk and came up with a crazy idea, and they needed to fill space, and they needed to put something on a shelf, so you ended up with too bad, or whatever. Like, you end up with really <laughs> yeah. strange stuff. And also, one of my favorite things about Mass Universe that you would never see now is there was no overarching brand Bible, right? So, like, there's a bunch of different iterations of it. There's the sort of barbarian, heavy Conan comics that they did. Then there's the really light and sort of charming cartoon and then there's all this stuff in between. And, I mean, I think Sam and I have talked about it. One of, one of our favorite things about Mass Universe is its inconsistencies. Mm. And She-Ra, you know? Like, there's this sort of, like, why is Sweet Bee a total evil monster with evil eyebrows in this comic? And she's this sweet, you know, whatever. Like, there was just people licensed it. Went, I don't know. And they just put in crazy stuff. I think that makes it kind of wonderful. I, I totally see that. And I should... Prime that we all did watch the Toys That Made Us documentary on Netflix, which is kind of like the most recent production involving He-Man. So if you're curious about background, you can get info from that. Uh, Tim has a lot of information outside of that because that was a pretty like fast and quick history, mostly just about the toys. We're going to talk a little about the cartoon and stuff too. But yes, that is true. Uh, it's And it's so interesting that He-Man exploded in popularity despite or maybe even because of that like lack of center right like it it kind of set the template for what every 80s toy line tried to be after that and i think they ruined a lot of 80s toy lines by being too too directed yeah one of the things that you know kind of works about he-man is that the kids direct you know they they look at the toys and go that guy's a bad guy and you get to kind of make up your own thing and i know when we were kids we liked the cartoon we liked the, all the peripheral stuff but to some degree when you picked up the the toy, which you actually really liked, was the unlimited possibilities of that toy. Some of my favorite characters were the ones that didn't have a story I ever saw. Faker never appeared as Faker, and he's still my favorite figure. Like, the guys that had no story, I loved because I could make up my story, you know? like It's nice that they give you a guidance of sorts. I mean, there's always some sort of little bio, or yeah. like the comics came, and it's like, okay, cool, I, I got an idea, but yeah. like... I'm going to go off on my own and create these massive battles with these characters. And I'll say the doc gave me a little bit of a, a identity crisis because, you know, Tim, I'm sure you've heard this working in comics. I'm sure everyone here has kind of the thing that people say about superheroes to discredit them is, oh, they're just like little boys power fantasies, which is exactly yes. like literally what He-Man was created to be. And yet everyone in this room loves it, whether they came to it as a three-year-old like me or a... 31-year-old like Lauren. Oh, you know my age. Because <laughs> yes. well, you guys are younger than us. We grew up, we were there when it showed up. So that's kind of interesting. But I, I think, you know, She-Ra is also, a, it's a freedom fantasy for little girls. So like, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that. It's okay. I think little boys having power doesn't mean they turn into um, alt-right anti-menonists. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> that's Clearly true. they don't. It doesn't mean they do not. Yeah, but they, it's, it's not, you know... I think that the idea behind it, and that's what the interesting of, of She-Ra, and my, when my brother and I were working on the on the cartoon uh, background stuff, one of the things we said is, you know, He-Man is a power fantasy. She-Ra is a, She-Ra's a freedom fighter, right? She lives right. in a world that's already been overtaken, which is perfect for girls, mm-hmm. right? And so she's fighting for freedom instead of 
fighting for power, which is He-Man, right? Right. Yeah, I think what escalates it into the sort of toxic alt-right stuff that you're, you sort of said was, does the person already have power? Do they already have freedom? Uh, I think He-Man was great for five-year-old boys who are told to clean their room, told they have to go to school, and it's just a world of, of rules and yeah. decisions being made for them. And so the power is something they don't have. And little girls, you know, we're, we're very much told what to wear and how to act and be polite and be pretty. And the idea that we don't have freedom but could have it, I think that's a, a healthy a healthy desire for power and a healthy desire for freedom. Only if you already have those things and you, if, if, if you're Hordak and you want more freedom and more power, yeah. then, then you're the villain, then you're the MRA. Let me back up real quick. So what Tim is talking about, which this we had no idea that this was true when we uh, or actually when Sam asked him to do the show. Thank you, Sam, is uh, Tim and his brother Steve ended up writing some kind of background research for the new Netflix show. Yes. So one of our goals for this season of our podcast is to. Uh, talk about higher level themes and higher level character deep dives uh, in She-Ra in hopes of maybe having some predictions, if not just hopes and wishes for the new show. And magically, <laughs> uh, we have some people in the room who uh, got to give the new team some of that knowledge. So tell us about what you're allowed to tell us. <laughs> so we, after we wrote the Art of the He-Man book, uh, my brother and I got contacted by DreamWorks and they just said, we're working on She-Ra. And it can't be tied to He-Man specifically. Like, they could use He-Man and Hordak and some stuff, but they couldn't use, like, the um, too much more of it, as far as they knew, because they had the rights just to She-Ra. And then they said, there is no existing property Bible. They said, you guys seem to know an abnormal amount about this stuff. So um, they just hired us to write, like, not a series Bible for the cartoon, because that would be on the showrunner. We just wrote a property Bible, basically, which just involved um, us going back researching the hell out, watching all the cartoons, reading all the comics, all the storybooks, and sort of distilling what it is about, or what it was about, you know? Wow. Um, so that the, the people coming into it would have a, a basis to move on from, you know? And, you know, there's so many... One of the things that, um, with this property, and we talked about this earlier, is just there's all this peripheral information, and uh, Mattel owns all that, right? So they're like, tell us which characters we own. And so we can kind of, you know, take a deep dive and figure out this stuff. And uh, that was just kind of our job. So it's like, what is the primary motivation of, of Castaspella? And, <laughs> you know, and uh, where is she from? And how is this, uh, how is this work? And, and, you know, then at the end we got to do just sort of like, uh, here's what these things are, are about uh, overall. And that was the sort of the difference between, you know, power and freedom and, and the, the inherent feminist qualities of She-Ra and kind of how that plays against the qualities of escapism uh, that are associated with this sword and sorcery science fiction thing. Wow. So just to make sure I'm understanding this right, when you started writing this, 
you only had He-Man and Hordak from the Masters characters, and then the She-Ra line, and then you mentioned before we recorded that you later learned you could use the entire Horde, because that's really yeah. interesting, even with what we're talking about, that most of the villains in the She-Ra show originally were in the boys' side of the toy line, right? They were all Masters villains. Yeah, I'm not sure why that was. We've tried to figure out what the connection there was. They wanted to introduce the Horde as bad guys, and then the She-Ra line kind of came up at the same time, and they were going to do an animated movie. So I think there was like a just convergence of, we'll just throw these things together. We're going to do this. We're going to launch this second line of villains. They're even better than Skeletor's guys. And then they had this platform if they did this movie, and then they could also launch She-Ra. So it became this, let's do all of these things at the same time. Wow. Um, and that's how you kind of ended up with Etheria, and you know they needed a place for Hordak to be from. Um, and a lot of the She-Ra stuff was designed actually by Filmation. Uh, I think She-Ra comes from the Filmation side before she becomes an action figure side. They kind of had talked about it at the same time, whereas He-Man came specifically from Mattel side. So, and I'm sure you watched the documentary, this is totally true of all this stuff. There's always a question of who made up what. Hmm. Um, so I've heard two or three stories of who came up with the name She-Ra, at least, uh, and they even talk about it in the documentary. There's two guys who duke it out over who created He-Man yeah. all the time. But it's sort of true of She-Ra, too, that... You know, there's a very early uh, filmation designs for He-Man's girlfriend, She-Ra. Uh, she wasn't his sister yet. <laughs> and uh, so, that, so that always, you know, there was those, those considerations too. So it's, it's interesting to figure out what that origin is. But I think in the end, you know, the, the, the idea of the Horde was that, well, we've got these guys. We're going to launch them anyway. Let's ground them with this. In writing that for, for DreamWorks, do you feel like there was anything that you, like, connected the dots on that like was always like glaring in in your mind not really i mean i think the thing with he-man you could do that um because it's a lot longer and there's a lot more peripheral information like you know the the uh, some of the stuff that they connected in the mike young uh, 2002 he-man cartoon like they picked up on this notion that was hinted at in the original stuff that skeletor was keldor and mm-hmm. it was his uncle and all that stuff that stuff wasn't that you could discover that in doing stuff but the she stuff was a little bit more Explicit in its way, I think. Hordak and the evil Horde are out to get He-Man and Skeletor. Hordak, Hordak. Skeletor, Skeletor. Who can defeat gruesome Grizzlor and the sucking leech? Grizzlor, Grizzlor. Leech, leech. Hordak and the evil Horde. New from Mattel. Hordak. The only thing that has really boggled me about She-Ra canon, and this is me, you know, I've only been in this fandom for a year or so, uh, is that the toys, honestly, the She-Ra figures have so many outfits and have so many incarnations and looks and titles that are never in the show uh, because I think they wanted to make a, a hairbrushable fashion doll for girls, that I don't know where those things land in the canon. And did they for you, or is that stuff just irrelevant? Like the the hairbrush sword? Like is that <laughs> something that she uses in the real world? Or like, I mean, that's interesting because you're coming into this new. That's yeah. We're used to that. When you were a kid, you had those questions. You're like, why... You know, why is this guy so different from the toy in the yeah. cartoon? She-Ra only has one outfit on the show. Why does she have eight <laughs> on the, in the toys? I guess someone just assumed that that's what little girls wanted. I mean, and the real simple reason for that is um, 
in the toy line, you have to refresh the toy line every six months or whatever and get new stock into the stores. And you need a He-Man and a Skeletor every time. You need a She-Ra and a Catra every time. So you can't sell the same one to the same kids. So you got Battle Armor He-Man. You got Flying Fist. Uh, you know, all this sort of stuff. And then She-Ra did the same thing. I got Bubble Power. I can't believe I know all the stuff, but I do. And, uh, but one of the things is that you know, they, they needed you to have a new reason to buy a She-Ra. Or if you'd never bought one before... Bubble Power She-Ra was your She-Ra, you know? Mm-hmm. So they they just had to, like, keep you... It's all driven by you slinging, slinging out paper for that plastic. Like, that's the... <laughs> <laughs> and, it's, and it's wonderful that way. But yeah, that's why. And the cartoons, they didn't want to, you know... Filmation would get a note, like, here's all the things we're going to release this year, and we need you to cover this. And the animators would look at, like... Yeah, I'm, I don't have any idea what we would do with spin kick, you know, whatever. Like they just, <laughs> whatever the case was, they just, they had to tell a story, you know. So when kind of crafting your vision of what the overarching Shira narrative is, did you pull mostly from, from the cartoon? Because, I mean, the documentary even points out, like, it wasn't until Filmation gave the, uh, these characters, like, a really set narrative that He-Man, like, hit the stratosphere. So did you find that was true with Shira as well? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean... I think we pull a lot from the mini comics because I think it, I always do that for both the properties. I think the mini comics are, are sort of the original purist version. I mean, I think right. that's what yeah. I think. Yeah, but the animation gets the thing that everybody's familiar with, so you kind of have to, you know, combine it, w- the best elements of those things. And a lot, like a lot of things that are developed for Shira, do come from Filmation, which is not necessarily true of He-Man. A lot of the stuff was, you know, like in that documentary, they don't give a lot of credit to Michael Halperin or some of these people who came up with. The Prince Adam, basically the Shazam storyline for He-Man, they didn't uh, really credit those people, but that's who came up with, you know, DC Comics did a lot of work on that. But in, Sh- in She-Ra, because it was sort of developed by Filmation to a degree, you really do kind of use those storylines the most, especially that the secret, secret of the Sword, which it really kind of sets up a, a rule, a rules that everybody used, you know, which is not necessarily true of He-Man. One of the things I wrote down from this documentary was that the He-Man line used the kitchen sink uh method, which was any weird idea that they had, because He-Man had a, basically no rules, if they thought kids liked it, they would make it. So there was a, a hand puppet, and there was a slime uh, pit, and there was a, a toy with a voice box that would make you sound like Skeletor. Yeah, uh, it didn't work very well, though. I know. <laughs> what are some of the just weirdest or coolest uh, toys from this line that you see coming into your store? You mentioned the hand puppet, and that's from the Fright Zone. Uh, we have yet to have that hand puppet come in intact. Uh, <laughs> it crumbles. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's and, cheap rubber or something. And it's not like anybody like back in 86 was like, oh, I'm going to store this properly. It's in a box in a garage changing temperature every season. So there's there's some things like that that don't hold up, which is a shame, which only drives up the price if you do see one, you know. The slime pit, honestly, I'd say like in the last couple of years, we've only had one come through the shop. And that one went home with me. <laughs> yeah, it's on it's on the refrigerator now with a nice little slime faker custom that we have. It's yeah, that's one of my favorite. Do you pieces. have a box of slime? A, a bu- bu- I oh. don't, but luckily, you know, like uh, companies have continuously put out slime oh. through the years. I have the Mass Universe slime. Yeah, sealed. Sealed. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Don't ever open that. I know I won't. <laughs> if you open it, it, just turns into dust instantly. Uh, yeah. Schrodinger's slime. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> I, I always like to just, like, think about the items that come in once. And of that, I'd say, like, the Crystal Castle has come into the shop once. 
Uh, and I bought it from you. And it's in Tim's house now. <laughs> Man, the perks of knowing someone. Yeah. <laughs> Have yeah. you ever seen Eternia? I know that's a notoriously so, rare playset. So you've been to our shop. Our shop is relatively small. <laughs> we can't fit Eternia in the shop. <laughs> like, we've been offered Eternia before. And, like, if we rearranged, like, a fourth of the shop, we could probably figure out where to put it just so that somebody could come in a week later and buy it. And it's like, okay. Uh, so the one time that we were offered it, uh, I actually, I think I reached out to you and Steve to see if you needed it. Yeah. Uh, but I, I had to turn it down. It's like, I'm sorry, I can't fit that. I can't fit a seven foot GI Joe aircraft carrier. Yeah. <laughs> we, we have limitations, but yeah. yeah. So do you see a difference in, in, uh, original masters versus princess of power toys? Like in the aftermarket, is, is She-Ra still sought after or is it less fervor than He-Man? She is namely She-Ra is. Like, we'll get people coming in and asking for She-Ra figures all the time. Uh, but getting a She-Ra collection in is, you know, very rare for us. Uh, like, we, we have buckets full of Buzz-Off and Clawful, but, like, to get, uh, you know, Catra in the shop, it, yeah, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's that uh, girls didn't think that their items, you know, were sought after, and they're not, like out looking to sell their stuff where like the collector community is primarily male based and they, they know that their stuff from when they were little is worth something. So they're looking to like part with it or upgrade, you know? Um, so I, I feel like there's boxes and boxes of this stuff sitting in someone's closet and they're just not, you know, keen to the idea of, of selling it, or maybe they're just that into holding on to something that they grew up with, you know? She was tough too, because the, the, she had, like you said, she had like outfits and dresses. So, like I, as a collector myself, I can never find a Shira with all her stuff. Whereas He Man, right. like like you say, Buzzhoff had a helmet and a stick, yeah. And so you can, <laughs> it's pretty easy, you know. I bet the hair plays into it a lot yeah. too. Yeah. I I can speak from personal experience that once a Barbie had a hair incident, it was garbage. It was not. <laughs> yeah. It was not yeah. something that was going to ever be sold or played with again. I think the the prime use of a time machine for me would be go back and slap the fireworks out of little dude's hands and the scissors <laughs> out of little girl's hands and just be like, no, no, yeah. don't do that. The Shira toys strike me uh, even more so now that I've watched this documentary. I was talking to Eric about this before we started recording. They said 20% of He-Man toy sales were to little girls, which meant that little girls liked He-Man exactly for what it was, like no changes required. And so when they came out with the She-Ra toys, which are so much more stereotypically 80s feminine, even those commercials were very sugary. For one, I was thinking, okay, did these 20% who loved muscly, ripped, action-packed He-Man even gravitate towards these toys at all? And girls who saw these commercials and wanted these toys, would they like the show? Because one of the things I've really loved about She-Ra the cartoon is that it has a lot of women, but it's not hyper femme. It's not super pink. It's not super pastel. They don't spend time on makeup and fashion and glitter. Uh, And so if I saw those toy commercials, I'd almost feel like it was advertising a different television program than what it actually was. And so had to, would that have affected toy sales and the legacy of that toy line? I, I feel like the difference there uh, between what you were watching in the show and what you saw in commercials is that the commercials were maybe geared towards the parents, you know, mm-hmm. like put, 
put them in their boxes. You know, this is what you're buying for your daughter. This is what you're buying for your son. And then like the parents that would have these kids watching the show, they, they're not sitting down all the time with the kid. So it was almost like secretive, like, hey, we're sending you empowering messages. Don't <laughs> yeah. tell your mom yeah, and dad. Yeah, don't tell mom and dad. That's amazing. Yeah. I think that's true. The ladies who made those shows, like the uh, Shimer, um, what's in Lori Shimer? Erica? Or Erica, sorry. Yeah, Erica. Like, she's a super badass. And she, you know, like she would, I can totally see her being like, rise up, good little girls. Like, <laughs> you know, I can totally see that. And that. But that was also the ladies who developed the toy line at Mattel were all like they're working in a man's world they were all executives they're all like those were some tough ladies like they were yeah. I think that that was always part of the the mission of She-Ra you know gleaming in the morning light home of She-Ra shining bright crystal castle you put it together she whistles separately you can pretend magic things shine everywhere cause it has a secret power lifted high on a throne She-Ra saves the world on So one kind of last thing I wanted to touch on is the documentary ends in, I don't know, a place that made me a little sad. So we're all adults in this room talking about how much we love He-Man. And the kind of climax of the documentary is this has become uh, a thing for adults now. It's like at a, it's a premium figure line, which is like very beautiful. Uh, it's collectibles for adults. How how do we feel about that? Because, like, initially this was designed for kids. Like, I have to feel like there's some value for this outside of nostalgia, right? Like, Lauren's always so good about reminding us when we talk about these shows. Like, this is for kids. And I feel like that's the direction the Netflix show is going to go. But, like, I don't know. As for adults who love toys, what are our feelings on that, I guess? I think uh, it's okay to have such a robust adult fandom as long as uh, kind of my conversation about what's a good obsession with power and what's a bad one, there's a good way to be a fan and an unhealthy way to be a fan. Uh, I really love what we're doing with this show, which is going back to things uh, that are nostalgic. Uh, A lot of people don't like to critique their nostalgia or politicize their nostalgia, and I think it's important that we take an honest adult lens when we're looking at the things we loved as kids. And I think yeah. that's a healthy way to be a fan. The unhealthy way to be a fan are the people we encountered at Dragon Con who wanted to punch us out for doing this show to begin with because heaven forbid we touched their He-Man, you know? Yeah, like when people say, oh, don't politicize my childhood. Well, it was politicized. You just didn't recognize it because well, you mean, were a child. And especially anything that came on the 80s. They were reacting against 80s stuff, which is the same stuff we're dealing with now. The 80s, it's coming around again mm-hmm. because of the way, I mean, it's the same kind of political conservatism, the same kind of liberal backlash. It's the same thing. We live in the same world. Like, how can you not connect those things? It's kind of ridiculous. Well, and what are you collecting these toys for if that's not the message you got from the show? Sure. I want I want some She-Ra toys now because I feel like she represents this really early attempt at feminism and she stands for some of the progressive values that I stand for in my adulthood. If all you were watching these shows for was because it showed strong people punching and kicking, what do you feel when you look at the toy that you got? I don't I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we go through this in comics all the time is people sometimes get a different message from superheroes than I I certainly did. I mean, I, that's very confusing to me, but 
there are people that think Superman is about power and, and strength. Like, no, it's a it's about an immigrant and an alien in a strange land. And how did you not see that? Yeah. Well, you, you were asking about the kids thing too. One of the the heartening things for me with Masters of the Universe stuff, you know, I have it around my house and I've got that book and uh, I have two nep- and, and a niece and a nephew and they're almost five and. We gave my brother, my other brother, a copy of that book, and the kids just go through it every day and go, I like that guy, I like that guy, Aww. and they know all the names right. of the characters. And when they come to you know, Chicago, I take them to Quake or Sam's store, and I just say, you know, hey, you can get some stuff. And they always gravitate towards the Master Universe figures. Like my nephew will pick, he doesn't know the story, he didn't watch the cartoon, but he picks things that just look cool, and they're often Master Universe characters, you know? To him, Cometroid the Meteor looks great, and he loves that figure. I don't know why, but he does. <laughs> and and my niece loves um, the you know pink. She, she's a girl that is totally a girl is uh, that somebody wants to market to. She loves pink stuff. She see she saw Angela, you know, who's got wings and a pink outfit. She's like, she's the prettiest figure. And like, so uh-huh. they they gravitate towards it. It's a thirty year old toy, thirty five year old toy, <laughs> and they still have affection for it, and they still interested in it. So I think that's heartening, and you know, and there's not a lot. The, the fact that we now have DC superhero girls is a direct continuation of of She-Ra. The fact that like you know, my niece has this uh, Supergirl figure that she loves, and she also gets to have Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn, and the, their action figures is because of that, because of She-Ra. Yeah, my best friend and I were talking about the uh, Forces of Destiny Star Wars line that came out, which sort of bridges the gap in the same way as some of those DC superhero girls. They're they're action figures, and they're connected to a YouTube short series of action-packed Star Wars cartoons centered around Princess Leia and Padme and Jyn Erso, but they also have changeable outfits and brushable hair. And, you know, I'm kind of into it. I have complicated feelings because I feel like we're raised and conditioned to like makeup and like fashion and sometimes feel like you have to. But there are these toys now that I think directly can credit She-Ra, as you say, that are kind of trying to do both. Like these are action-empowered characters with agency, but they're still beautiful. There's something good to that, I think. So let's let's end with this. Do you think there will be toys for the Netflix She-Ra? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because the Voltron figures from the Netflix show do pretty well, so I'm sure. Oh, they, that's right. Yeah, that's also DreamWorks. I think you also live in a world where toy sales are at a very diminished expectation. You know, like no one expects a toy line to do what Mass Universe did in the 80s. Yeah. yeah. So. I, I think the toy line's going to upset as many people as the show is going to upset because it's not going to be a toy line that we're used to. It's not going to go by these 20 characters all in the same format. It's going to be, here's five figures from that char- or from that show done in this format. Then we're going to change it up and give it to you like this. Right. That, how they do toys now. They yeah. get the big size. You get the yeah. the small hands figure, the big hands figure. Yeah. Yeah, You're going to totally. see like little blind bag toys of them and done in like a little chibi version. Yep. You know? You're going to see an action figure of them, but it's not going to be what we're used to. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. A lot of Netflix properties specifically, Stranger Things is not a show that I would even imagine should have toys, but they do. There are pop figures. There are like off-brand pop figures as well. There are keychains. There's there's so much memorabilia now because we have these sort of independent companies that get to make 
toys inspired by a franchise. And so I think you're exactly right. We're going to see these characters in all sorts of ways, probably for adults and for kids. And Voltron's a great example, right? Because there's like three or four different ways just you can buy the lions. And then there's the line of like the pilots. Yeah, that's that's a good way to look at it. They also sell the lions that don't connect to one another for some reason. It drives me crazy. (laughs) I bet we're going to see clothes too. I mean, that's so big right now. My Little Pony... Stranger Things again, uh, that, that if you go to Target in the adult section, you can find graphic tees with these characters. The reason I th- I'm thinking about this is think about Adventure Time or Steven Universe. A lot of the same people are involved. Yeah. And so it's going to, I think the, the merch is going to blow up in the same way. I hope people like it. I hope people like it enough that they make mer- that much merch. Yeah. I need more Shira stuff. Mm. So let, let me close with this then. Tim, Having written the property Bible, do you feel like there's a recipe for success in She-Ra in yeah, the current day? Yeah, I mean, I'm glad it's someone other than than me doing it. I mean, um, <laughs> that's very nice of you to say. Well, no, I mean, I just uh, you know the the showrunner. I can't remember if it's public, so I, I'm not going to say it unless you guys. Know yeah, uh, yeah. Noel Stevenson. Okay, all right, good. The she has the all the stuff to make this something that it never was before, and something that I wouldn't have made. Um, but something that will appeal to kids now. So I think that's a great choice. And I think, you know, I'm glad that I grew up with this stuff and know it so well, and I'm glad someone else can pick it up and use it to make something new. I mean, to me, this has to be something other than what I would have done with it for a mass market, and and that's great. Also, uh, a woman. That's it. Uh, I think we should tell our listeners, though, once more where to find this store, because a lot of them are in Chicago and can visit Toy Du Jour. We're at 2064 Northwestern Avenue. Tim, you, uh, you can buy his books monthly at your favorite local comic shops uh, or in trade paperback form. Lauren and I, you can follow us on social media. We don't really have anything for you to buy. Uh, also, check out The Art of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, just like the cartoon Bible we always talk about. It is a beautiful book from Dark Horse Comics. Just gorgeous. Add it to your collection of giant tomes related to this franchise. Yeah, there's like four of them now, and I have them all. Yeah. <laughs> they take up a significant part of my bookshelf, this damn thing. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank, Thank you. She is the one hope against the intergalactic war. Hers is the one power which can stand up against the evil horde. Who are you, woman? The name's She-Ra. For the honor of Grayskull, you must not miss the adventures of She-Ra, Princess of Power. On USA, today at 11.30, 10.30 Central. Thanks for listening to She-Ra, Progressive of Power. If you like our show, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We super appreciate it. You can also send in any feedback you have to our email address, progressiveofpower at gmail.com, or to our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash progressiveofpower. I probably mentioned them before on the show, but one of my favorite local nonprofits is a group called Chicago Loot Drop. Basically, they do nerd-themed fundraisers and events to help get toys and games into the hands of kids at Comer Children's Hospital in Chicago. One cool thing you could do is head to Toy Du Jour at 2064 Northwestern and pick up some stuff to donate or maybe go to your favorite local comic shop like Challengers, which is just a block south of there, and buy some of Tim Seeley's graphic novels to send their way. I know Loot Drop and most importantly the kids would really appreciate it. For more information on this super great organization, hit up chicagolootdrop.org.